Welcome to the Review Name Podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. With me on the show tonight, we have Sam. Hello. And Chris. Yo. This is yet another one of our Best of 2013 podcasts. This week, we're going to be talking about television. Uh, 2013 has been one of the greatest years for television um, that I can remember. Uh, I've seen a lot of arguments talking about it as the greatest year for television. I don't know if I can go that far. I'd have to think about that a whole lot more, but... This has been one of the richest, densest, and most fantastic years of television I can remember anyway. So we're going to try to get through a whole lot tonight, um, just so we can kind of cover the breadth and depth of the show. Any initial thoughts from you guys briefly before we (coughs) dig into the nitty-gritty? Chris? Uh, I I can't agree with you more, Jordan. I mean, we had so many great shows uh, coming to some really phenomenal ends. We've had a lot of new shows that are just like really knocking out of the park right from the get go. And some shows that are maybe in their second or third season that are just like continuing to gain steam. So I really I really think on the whole that the story coming out of this year was just like how much great choice there is in television and um, really just both from like traditional outlets and new outlets. So I, there's just a lot to love out there right now. Sam? Uh, I agree. It's been a really, really good year. Uh, the only thing is it's been so great, but there's also been not just one, but like a handful of really great like Hall of Fame shows that ended this year. So um, we're down a few, uh, but there are definitely some good new shows this year. Not a ton, but um, I think I think we're going to make it. I think it's going to be okay, you guys. I think there will still be TV in 2014. I, you don't know. I don't know. You're right. Uh, there might not even be a world in 2014, right? Everybody's going to be watching their TV on their computers. On their computer machines and wristwatches uh-huh. and yep. sometimes through their glasses. Guys, I think uh, YouTube's the future. <laughs> um, so we have a lot to get through tonight. I think we're going to talk about uh, collectively somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 shows if we can punch through them. So I'm going to be keeping sort of a tight chip on the clock. But first, we're going to bring back something that we uh, that Chris and I tried on the comics podcast, um, which is uh, we're going to give each of us one minute to pitch two shows that we will not otherwise, or one minute each to pitch two shows that we will not otherwise be talking about. Um, so we're going to go around, and I'll keep the clock for you, Chris. Uh, Chris, you can keep the clock for Sam, and Sam can keep the clock for me as we go through this. You get one minute, and then at the end of that minute, I will be making the buzzer noise, and we'll be moving on. Um, I will introduce each show for the person so they don't have to do it, spend any time doing that, and they will get 60 seconds to discuss it. Sam, so, I'm not going to make the buzzer noise for you. I'm just going to politely tell you your time's over because I'm not a jackass. Thank I'm going to make Chris. the buzzer noise because I literally, part of the reason I'm doing this is because the buzzer noise is fun. Um, and I, I assume the listeners love the buzzer noise as much as I do because I have no evidence to the contrary. Um... So why don't we get this thing started? Uh, Chris, we're going to start off with you, and you are going to be discussing Portlandia. So why don't you go ahead and start right now? Okay, so I'm a big fan of Portlandia. I think it's one of the uh, best sketch comedy shows on TV right now, and it just kind of like really impresses me how the show continues to reinvent itself season after season. Um, it's kind of starting to get a little bit away from this sort of like uh, yuppie, the, the hipster humor that they kind of center around with Portlandia. The, the Portland scene. They still do a lot of that, but like what really impressed me this season was sort of the ongoing storylines we saw with um, Kyle McLaughlin's mayor character leaving Portland and kind of leaving the city in disarray and um, 
Fred and Carrie both uh, having feelings for their roommate and that kind of causing some frictions in their friendship. So it was just like the show kind of taking some new chances and really not really less resting on its laurels at all and just really trying to do some new stuff and always bringing back some of the fan favorite characters we've come to expect, such as the women and women and first women and the rats. Who in one of my favorite sketches decided to move out to their neighborhood to a neighborhood that was less gentrified. I'm done. Oh, perfect. You had two seconds left, so I don't get to do a buzzer noise. You suck. <laughs> uh, all right, now I'm going to kick it over to you, Sam. Uh, Chris, will you keep time on this for me? Because I hate Sarah yes. Fox that long. Um, and Sam is going to talk to us about Broadchurch. And go, Sam. Sure, Broadchurch is from sometimes Doctor Who writer Chris Chibnall, and it stars, uh, it stars David Tennant as a detective in a small-town murder mystery. And you may have heard of this premise before, and you may have seen it done before, but... That doesn't mean you shouldn't watch Broadchurch, which is only about eight episodes, and you can probably find it through means on the interwebs, so I definitely recommend it. And this is really a performance-based show. Um, it also has uh, David Bradley, who we know from Harry Potter and some Doctor Who fun stuff. Um, especially since it's not a massive time commitment, I definitely recommend checking out all eight episodes before it comes to the United States with David Tennant returning as the lead detective, it's really good after a, I think, a slow start, but it, it wraps up very, very well. So check it out. I highly recommend it. Hey. Done. You're perfectly done, Tim. Man, we're keeping it tight so far. Fucking A. Sam, I'm going to ask you to time me. I'm sure I will take more than a minute, so I will be discussing Enlightened. <clears throat> All right, ready, set, Go. Okay, this is one of the shows that I think will be on lists of shows that were canceled too soon for years to come. Um, but it's also one of the rare shows that seemed to see its cancellation uh, in the wings and wrapped everything up fairly nicely. I would have loved to see it go on, but it ended well. Um, season two actually took some of the uh, some of the great lessons learned throughout season one and applied them. It was slightly more plot based, but it also spent a lot more time outside of lead character Amy Jellicoe's head. Um, Laura Dern continued to be phenomenal as Amy. Uh, a sort of self-righteous woman who is on a crusade for good, but not necessarily always for the right reasons or in the right ways. Um, we also spent a lot more time with Mike White's Tyler. Uh, Molly Shannon was phenomenal in a recurring role throughout the season. Dermot Mulrooney was there and was pretty good. Um, basically, Enlightened is one of the best things I've seen on TV in the last several years. I'm really sad to see it go, and I know no one else in this podcast watches it. Not that many people watched it. It's only two short seasons um, 10 episodes for the first, 8 episodes for the second. Uh, there are 25 minutes, half an hour each. You should check out the whole thing. You won't Time's it. up, Jordan. Shut the fuck up, Jordan. You went over. <laughs> you lose. I lose this not even game that we're playing. Um, let's keep moving uh, at this breakneck pace, and let's hand it back over to you, Chris, who's going to discuss the Mindy Project. Uh, and go. Okay, this was the season where the Mindy Project, I felt like, really came into its own and started to display a lot of the reasons why I think it is becoming one of the best new comedies on TV. Unfortunately, this is also right around the time that it's probably also going to be canceled. Um, the thing that really impresses me about the Mindy Project is is the string of guest stars they can attract to this show. I mean, this season alone, in the nine episodes that aired, you had uh, James Franco, you had Timothy Oliphant, you had Glenn Howard from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Mark Duplass is a series regular, and then you had like Adam Pally joining the cast uh, from the much... Uh, about to be talked about happy endings and it's it's just it's a show with a lot of heart there's great chemistry between uh mindy cowling and chris messina and the entire 
group that works around this gynecologist's office just has these wacky adventures that both work inside and outside of work. And it's just always fun to see these characters hanging out, uh, having a party, or just like working through the recent work crisis. It's a great. Yeah. I got to do it. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, and it was so much fun. Okay, let's keep moving. And uh, Chris will put you back in charge of the clock. And okay. Sam is going to talk to us about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So, Sam, whenever Chris says. And Sam, go. All right. Um, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It has no right to be as good as it was this season in its ninth season. We always talk about the five-season thing. It's blown by that. And I think it actually had a resurgence uh, this year. There were a lot of kind of meta episodes, and I think they kind of kept things fresh with some also just generally high concept episodes. Um, some notable ones, they really played with, they really dug deep into character with The Gang Saves the Day, where they kind of have each character go into their own dream world of how they would save an armed robbery situation. There is an episode written by the head writers of um, Game of Thrones. There was an episode where they remade Lethal Weapon. I mean, all of these are just like perfect concepts. And somehow the show, it's, it felt fresh, even, even though it's been on for nine years, which seems insane that it's been on this long. And I also like that they have continued to make Mac more and more closeted, deep in the closet, homosexual, which is a great running joke. Time. <laughs> all yeah. right. Very good. Um, and I'm going to, I guess, tie a bow around our, our little one-minute pitches here and discuss uh, The Good Wife. So, Sam, I guess you're going to be in charge of the time. Let me know when to start. All right. Ready, set, go. Okay, The Good Wife started 2013, coming off of some of its worst plot lines ever, and managed to save season four and end on a huge cliffhanger that promised uh, a bigger status quo change than television had seen since Don Draper at all left Sterling Cooper on Mad Men, as um, Alicia, Florek, and Carrie Agos decided to leave Lockhart Gardner and start their own firm. Season five has carried that story as its main torch throughout, and it's been just knocking it out of the park as Lockhart Gardner and Florek Agos have waged legal war against one another um, through means that are legal and sometimes a little bit less so. Some of the other plot lines have been a little bit hit more hit or miss, but we've seen uh, Chris Knopf's character take over the governor's office. We've seen uh, a lot of really interesting things going on in the subplots of these. But really, I want to keep coming back to the fact that the show has focused in on the legal stuff and it's focused in on the characters and the way that they've changed since uh, Alicia and Carrie left Lockhart Gardner. And it's been just phenomenal character work and phenomenal That's legal time. fireworks. All yeah, right, you pretty much got it in on time. Yeah, that was that was much closer to the wire, but well, no, actually, that was a little less close to the wire. Anyway, shut up. Okay, um, <laughs> we are done with our one minute pitches now. We can take a slightly longer time with the shows that I think we all agree are somewhere in the top. I don't know, ten, fifteen, twenty uh, shows on TV. Uh, one of the problems we had putting together this podcast, one of the problems we had slash will continue to have putting together our top 10 lists this year, and I think some of us, myself most prominently included, are going to be doing a top 15 list instead because I can't get any lower. Um, there's just an embarrassment of riches. So we're going to try to cover as much as possible, and we're still going to miss some shows that I think are probably going to end up on any one of our individual top 10s. Um, why don't we kick things off and discuss uh, two Netflix shows that we're all in agreement were some of the best things on TV, or technically not on TV for some of us this year. 
Um, why don't we start off with uh, Arrested Development, which I think is the slightly more controversial pick uh, to make this podcast. Uh, Chris, why don't we start with your thoughts on Arrested Development? Well, I think we all really loved Arrested Development uh, for very much the reasons a lot of people hated it, in that it wasn't exactly the Arrested Development we were expecting. And oh, I didn't like it. Sam didn't like it. Oh, okay. Uh, That's I why I thought it was more controversial. And we'll get to Sam in a minute, but keep going. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, uh, well, at least the reasons that you and I liked it, Jordan, was it was um, it, it was a much different beast than what we were expecting. And it was, I thought, kind of thematically relevant to have um, this idea of the show's structure changes fundamentally once the family falls apart. Like, the, the first series of shows was about keeping the family together. Now that the family isn't together anymore, it's a different show. Um, so I, I like that a lot. I kind of like the tighter focus on individual members of the family. And I was not bothered at, as much as I think other people were by the, uh, limited amount of interaction you saw between the family, because to be honest with you, th there's so many people crossing paths at so many different times. And there's so much more of a chance to play up some of the other background characters in that scenario that it really didn't bother me. It really was not as noticeable as I thought it was going to be. And in the end, I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, Sam, I'm going to hold you off because I also like the show and then you can come in and show sure. on it and we'll sort of bounce back and forth. Um, I'm going to reiterate a few of the things you said, Chris, which I think, which is, I think thematically, uh, this works as the intended middle chapter in the Arrested Development quote unquote saga, whether we get a movie or more show next is not yet clear, but Mitch Hurwitz said he pitched this as sort of a middle chapter. Um, and like you said, Chris, the first chapter is about Michael keeping the family together. The second chapter is about each of them trying to keep themselves together after the family has fallen apart. Um, and I think it worked very well. But the thing that I, I really think uh, is worth discussing, since we've already sort of talked about the thematic stuff when we discussed Arrested Development earlier this year, um, the thing I want to point out is, at the beginning of the year when Netflix really started doing original programming in earnest with House of Cards, we talked in the podcast about the potential of the Netflix show in that you could do episodes of any given length um, and you could sort of play around with format. And I had no idea at the time that Arrested Development was going to come along a couple months later and do literally exactly that. Uh, the episodes fluctuated in length as needed. I think some of them probably went on a little bit longer than needed, but for the most part, they seemed to fit as much story as they needed to within them. Um, and also, they played around with structure in ways Arrested Development has always had sort of a relationship with, but was freed up to do more when people are watching the show um, in binge elements, or in binge uh, sittings, or sometimes, apparently, out of order, uh, as apparently some people did. Um, it fits together as one large narrative when you've seen the whole thing. It pulls apart in pieces to varying levels of quality. Um, I don't think it's perfect by any stretch, but I think it was the most revolutionary thing I saw on quote-unquote TV this year. Um, and honestly, I think it, it did service to the memory of Arrested Development. Um, it's different, but I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was more moving than I expected it to be, and I thought it was uh, trailblazing. Um, Sam, why didn't you like Arrested Development as much as Chris and I? Sure. Well, first, the main the main reason is it wasn't funny. Um, and I think even if it accomplished its goals thematically, I think it was at the cost of, you know, he went for this theme about, like, the family being apart, and that came out of the fact that they couldn't shoot everybody together because I think this the best this show is is when everyone is together in the cast, like they were when, they, when it was, uh, you know, the original three-series show. And... I wasn't particularly interested in the machinations of everyone being separate and coming together and people's storylines crossing. Cause inherently like that only works for me. If 
I care about the character. Like they make me care about the characters and it makes me laugh. And I found myself seeing like a lot of things going like, Oh, someone back the, you know, someone bumped the back of his chair. I bet that's someone who we're going to see in another episode and that'll be explained. And you know, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly impressed with like the different moving parts that came together. And I mean, I, I, I don't even really want to award him points for having them all come together because, you know, the main thing this show has to be for me is it has to be funny. And it, it, it just didn't really deliver that for me. And I think it's because everybody was kind of on their own and they, they kind of leaned on um, guest stars to varying degrees of success. I actually quite like Maria Bamford's turn on the show. Um, but there was the guy that, um, what's her face? Portia de Rossi was with. What was his name? Oh, Terry Crews? No, not Terry Crews. Oh, the crazy guy? guy? Face blindness guy. Um, whose name I don't remember off the top of my head right now. Yeah, I mean, it's like, he was just like a walking like plot device where it's like, well, we need a guy who has face blindness so we can make this like make this machine run smoothly. And now, see, I, I think thought the I th- face blindness joke worked. I thought it was a little bit overdone by the time it was done, but the first couple times you pulled out a face blindness joke, I thought it was sort of a vintage Arrested Development gag. And um, I thought I thought that actor was pretty bad. Um, I also have a bad taste in my mouth from that guy because he was also on The Office and he was like a human, a human mistake on The Office. Um, he played he played the boom mic guy that was like in love with Pam in the last season. Mm-hmm. Very horrible. Um, yeah, it just it wasn't it wasn't particularly funny to me, and I felt like a lot of callbacks weren't just normal Arrested Development callbacks. They were kind of like winking acknowledgments, you know, to the audience that like we're gonna say your favorite line again because you've missed it so much. Um, yeah, it just it just didn't work for me, and I didn't find the structure particularly interesting. Um, Chris, I'll give you a short leash to respond to Sam, uh, and then we'll sort of wrap up Arrested Development and move on, because we got a lot to cover. I mean, there, there's nothing really I can respond to in terms of, if you didn't really find it funny, there's, I, I can't really argue with it that yeah. it was. Like, I, I, I personally did find it funny, like, a lot of the, the different gags worked for me. I wouldn't say everything worked for me to the same degree, but I found enough there to like that it was uh, not a disappointment. It was, in fact, I think, for me, a nice new chapter and with some really great gags added to the canon. Uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just add again. I think Chris is right, Sam. We're not going to persuade you. You can't really argue funny. Um, but I I found a lot of the uh, the callbacks were less callbacky than I had worried they would be, and usually tried to find a new spin on the gag, which I really enjoyed. Um, the one that comes most to mind is is the way that the bees, uh, which is one of my favorite uh, gags back in the original series, and was kind of a subtle gag in the original series, came back in a, in a new and different way. Um, but- yeah, I felt like w- one of the things that I was really impressed at was the the idea that, like, any of the gags that were reused were, like, some of the lesser-used gags, and it sort of, like, built those up uh, rather than just, like, relying on the old staples all the time. Yeah, I mean, you had new things like uh, Tobias becoming a sex offender, which I think was was really well done, and I think, actually, <laughs> considering uh, how, how dangerous that... that can be to breach. I think they did a lot of good things with sex offender comedy in season four. Yeah. Um, why, why don't we shut down the Arrested Development talk now? And uh, I actually think we're sort of flipped on Orange is the New Black, where if I recall, Chris, you're not as wild about it as Sam and I are. Um, True. Is that correct? Yes. 
All right, so cool. Why don't we start with Sam on Orange is the New Black, and we'll move over to you, Chris, through me. Sure. Um, okay. I, you know, obviously, I, th I thought Orange is the New Black was the best show on Netflix this year, and one of the best shows on TV, period. And one thing that's great about Orange is the New Black is that it was kind of, it was a TV show with, Basically, the entire cast was all female. There were some supporting roles for men um, because it takes place in an all-female prison. Um, and it also had a structure that I particularly enjoyed with. We were able to get backstory and get to know these characters deeper through each episode, or almost each episode, had flashbacks to how particular prisoners landed in prison. And that was a good way of kind of humanizing and rounding out their character. Um, it was often a hilarious show as well, as as well as being dramatically resonant. Um, and it was just, it's filled with like really unforgettable characters, I think. I mean, everybody, everybody, like the talk of this year was, you know, Crazy Eyes and Red and, you know, and that it's based on a true story or at least partially, I think adds to some of the excitement around the, the book. I think it's kind of just like an interesting story about this kind of affluent, white woman who's kind of thrown into this weird situation and she's kind of the outsider. And by the end of the season, it's, I think the outsider story kind of takes a backseat to just the drama happening in the prison. Um, so I also think even though it is show run by Kenji Johan, who did weeds and I'm going to assume we'll run this into the ground. Um, I think it's kind of set itself up to, to still work in the future. Cause there's still a lot of character. There are a ton of characters on the show. Um, and there are a lot of storylines to dig deeper into. So I think there is a deep well here. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll pick up before we, we go to Chris's response and say, I, it took me a long time to watch Orange of the New Black, even though everyone I knew was telling me it was awesome, uh, with the exception of Chris. Uh, and, and, and in large part, that's because I knew Jinji Cohen had burned me before. Uh, and I was afraid this was going to be another Weeds, and I was like, well, it probably is really good, but it's probably going to get way too broad and ridiculous. And honestly, having seen Orange is the New Black, it will not surprise me if season two, season three, or, you know, whatever season down the road does go too broad and ridiculous and this show falls off. But season one was pretty goddamn fantastic. Um, what, what, two things that I really want to point out, uh, because I know we're pressed for time. Uh, the first is, this is the first show that I would say has what I, what I call the lost structure that hasn't just annoyed me right off the bat. Um, that, that sort of every episode having flashbacks that fill in the character backstories thing doesn't work for me when it feels like a stall uh, from the plot. But this, this is a show that the plot is the characters. It's, it's a really character-based show, and flashing back to these characters and filling them out feel, uh, felt like it worked for me. And even though the double-dipping that we saw by the end of the season already was starting to wear a little bit thin on me and actually I think undercut some of the characters who I loved the first time around. Um, most specifically, the more I learned about Red, the less compelling I think she is. And she was one of my favorites when we first learned about her. Um, but this is still a show that figured out how to do what Lost was doing that drove me crazy and almost no one else crazy um, really well. And that kind of blew me away. The other thing is, this is a show and, and a television season uh, year that has been pretty good at empathy. I think Orange is the New Black is probably the most empathetic show on television. It's it's figured out a way to make pretty much everyone sympathetic, even when the point of the character is how not sympathetic they are. Um, I mean, it, it gave moments to someone as reprehensible as Porn Stash that was like, look, this guy is awful, but he's also a human being. Um, they even and, did it with uh, Pensatucky. Yeah, it, it sort of made everyone human. And I was 
continually impressed by that and continually moved by it. Um, I didn't expect the show to be as consistently good at making everyone a uh, real believable and empathetic human being as it was. And it just, I mean, it ended up being not always a feel-good show, but a feeling show. Uh, and it, I mean, I didn't find it as funny as you did, Sam. I thought some of the comedy was already a little broad. But sometimes it was really funny, sometimes it was really sad. Mostly, I think Orange is the New Black was one of the most human shows I saw all year, and I, I loved it for that. Um, Chris? Uh, yeah, I guess right off the bat, um, pretty much just like Sam with the rest of development, I just didn't find the show funny. Um, none, none of the comedy really worked for me. I don't think the show ever really made me laugh. Um, so that was kind of leaving me as a disadvantage in far as appreciating it as much as other people did right from the get go. But a little more than that, I, I kind of found the portrayal of the prison to be wildly inconsistent in terms of one minute, everybody's at each other's throat and the next, they're just like all hanging out doing arts and crafts and doing secret Santa. It, it just, it just seemed like for me that I, I never could really get a handle on what they were trying to, it, it, it seemed like they were like undercutting this idea of like how awful prison is supposed to be almost at every other turn in terms of like there were scenes where you could definitely understand just like what a terrible place it is to be even in a minimum security women's prison. But at the same time, there were moments where it, it just really didn't seem that bad and characters who seem to like be um, have not like just have uh, animosity towards each other would like in the next episode almost seem to just have like completely forget any kind of um bad blood between them and just be somebody's new best friend from episode to episode it was i i just found a lot of inconsistencies there that really bothered me so it's sort of i love the i love the show for working at the lost thing and you just liked it for continuing the glee thing <laughs> yeah if sure to be really That's... productive about it <laughs> that is yeah the, like the in barest terms possible i guess yes that you could say that yeah, um I, so I'm yeah the, the show reduce what you say Go ahead. <laughs> I, I liked the show. It didn't thrill me. Um, I, I just thought there were um, just too many inconsistencies for me to really love it. All right, uh, Sam, I will give you the same short leash I gave Chris to respond, and then we'll move on. Um, I mean, I thought it was funny. Again, we can't really, it's tough to argue that, but um, it was definitely more drama than comedy. Um. And yeah, I just think the machinations that it does work particularly well. It's not a perfect show. Um, it'll probably be in my top ten somewhere, at, I think. I mean, it might not be. If it is, it's going to be near the bottom. Um, I just thought it was, it, for me, it was like a, a very pleasant surprise at how engrossed I was with the show. The big thing I'm worried about is that Laura Prefon is, I think, she, well, she's definitely not going to be on the show as much, and I'm not sure if she's being written off entirely. So she was a... Very, very big character to the show. So it'll be interesting to see how they work that. And yeah. and, and the thing about the what, what was good about the show is there were definitely some storylines that I was like just not really interested in. But what was good about the show is there are so many storylines going on. They don't spend a, a huge amount of time on some of the more minor ones that were usually kind of shaky. So I like I like that they bounce around. There are there are a ton of characters, which which helps, I think, for this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, either way, I think we can all agree that Netflix uh, had an auspicious, not technically debut year, but, you know, functionally debut year as a TV network. Um, and why don't we move on? I think we're going to spend less time than usual on the next show because we've already talked a whole hell of a lot about it this year. Um, but Chris, I'm going to kick it 
to you to start uh, discussing Breaking Bad. Um, yeah, I think this will be probably like the at least the sixth or seventh time we've talked about Breaking Bad in the podcast this year. I mean, what what more is there to say about Breaking Bad other than uh, what an incredible year of television, what a tense, nail-biting build you had to a finish that was um, just just so wonderfully noir uh, in how it was constructed. Uh, I, I just... The the show is like the kind of show that will be talked about for for decades and decades. Like just not not just because of how the cult fan following it had, but just like just how masterful every aspect of it was executed. And like the roller coaster ride you were taking on with Walter White in this past season, in terms of do you like him? Do you not like him? Do you want him to be doing the things he's doing? I think it, the show really challenged your preconceptions about who Walter White had become and about what you wanted out of the finale of a TV show that be, you become so invested in, you almost have, you almost kind of feel like a degree of ownership over. And you have your idea of like, this is the way I think it should go. And I think the show really prodded you a few times along the way saying, this is maybe not the way you expected it to go, but do you really, I think you said it best in several of your reviews, Jordan, like when you were talking about like, the show asking the viewer, is this what you really want out of it? And I, I, it just was, it was surprising. It was powerfully moving and it was just edge of your seat television every single episode. All righty, Sam, breaking bad thoughts. Uh, let's see. It's tough. It's tough not to rehash things. I mean, everything's been said about this show already. Um, I think it's legacy will be one of the best shows ever. I don't know. I don't know where people are going to rank it, and I'm not really too concerned about that sort of thing. I think just I th- I do know that I think it'll be considered one of the the best shows ever, um, and I look forward to revisiting it uh, in a couple of years to just kind of relive it again. And I think I think it was kind of uh, special that you know this is one of few shows I remember like sitting down every week and being like so excited like I can like barely contain my excitement. Uh, each week like sitting on the couch getting ready because like I had no idea what was going to happen each week um, and it usually blew me away um, what's also uh, what's also I think a great legacy of this is the careers of Brian Cranston and um, shit why am I forgetting Jesse's name now uh, Aaron, Aaron Paul, Paul. <laughs> yeah and um, and Anna Gunn too I think I think those three, I think we'll see a lot more, a lot more work and they'll get more opportunities and they absolutely all deserve it. And we even see, you know, people like Giancarlo Esposito, just people who've, just people who've shown up for a season or two getting opportunities out of this. And I think that just shows how, how much everybody loved this show that people see this and they're like, we need to hire all of these people. It was such a great cast and I'm excited that everybody's, everybody's going to do more things. And Brian Cranston, you know, before before Breaking Bad, Brian Cranston, I think, would have been remembered as, oh, he was the guy on Malcolm in the Middle. That was an okay show. And nobody would have thought the other. But now after Breaking Bad, people will look at Brian Cranston, I think, similarly to the way they looked at James Gandolfini, who before he was on The Sopranos, I think he was just known as like a very good character actor. Um, but this is, you know, a career-defining role you know, for all, for everybody involved, probably with this show, 
Um, I mean, for God's sake, Bob Odenkirk, I think, is just getting more serious acting out of this, too. And he deserves it. He was great. And he's getting a, he's getting a whole new TV show. So I think I, I'm really happy about the legacy that this leaves with the people involved. And I'm sure um, Vince Gilligan, you know, he'll probably do other things and it'll be compared to this show unfairly. But he'll be doing more things and the actors will be doing more things. So it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving, I think, which is what makes it very special too. Yeah, I'll I'll be very brief. Um, I mean, Breaking Bad is obviously in contention uh, when people talk about one of the greatest shows of all time. Um, and I sort of, like you, Sam, I think way too early to talk about that. Uh, it literally just ended. And also, I'm, I'm kind of less interested in that, at least in the short term. Um, what I'm interested in is this show gave us pretty much phenomenal episodes straight across the board in these uh, last eight. Um, people are divided in the finale. I'm one of the people that's divided in the finale, but I mean, it peerlessly gave us the greatest episode of television uh, this season, I think, with uh, this year, I think, with Ozymandias. Um, well, we're going to have to check our uh, year-end list to see where it ranks on the... Uh... Well, yeah. Uh, at people, by the time this comes out, that list will be published and people will understand or will realize that uh, despite Sam and I's strong protestations, Ozymandias is not the number one episode on that list. Um, and Sam and I are already talking about how we're going to be able to rework the episode list next year so it more accurately reflects uh, what the whole staff thinks instead of just making everyone angry when it doesn't reflect their nominations. I, I, I'm saying just retroactively make my votes count. I, I I did not actually vote on this list, but I'm saying, Jordan, tag me in. I can fix this. I can Chris, fix this. I'll just give you the list and be like, make it this way. Um, and then happy ending to be on it and everything. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, you guys are asking for a scandal. You we guys are asking about, for a scandal. We're asking for a scandal. We're not going to do that. I'm going to put up the uh, the compromised piece of shit list that uh, we ended up with. <laughs> um, but seriously, uh Best episode of television I saw all year. Continue to be great performances. And while I'm not sure that I found the finale ultimately satisfying, I also think that people tend to overweigh uh, final episodes in their estimation of the show. And I mean, any way you cut it, Breaking Bad was one of the best shows on TV this year. Um, and I think ended its run about as strongly as you could possibly imagine it ending its run. Um, is there anything else anyone wants to say before we just close the bag and move on? Because we got a lot to cover. I think Breaking Bad was phenomenal. Anyone else? Silence. Cool. Yeah. Um, now we're going to talk about a show that I think we uh, probably all agree was a little bit more uneven, but still turned out two or three of my favorite things I saw on TV this year, uh, and that's Girls. Um, I don't remember whose turn it is. Uh, Chris, you started Breaking Bad. Sam, why don't you start us off on Girls? Sure. Girls is another, another victim to my forgetting it was a show, and I left it off my list just Thus dooming it to not being on our list this year. Um, but actually, I really enjoyed this season of Girls. I was actually a little bit less conflicted about the show this season than I was last season. Even though this probably wasn't a perfect narrative season, I think it had its best episodes as a show this year. Um, I think it does like really, really interesting, daring work that I that wasn't afraid to, I think, confuse or piss off a lot of people. And I think that's just kind of the show's M.O., um, but Lena Dunham continues to be incredibly impressive and I think they're doing a nice job of building up their supporting cast a little bit better and I think I think it's a show that needed people to get a little bit more used to the waters uh, if you know what I mean it's just it's it's a show about a group of girls who are pretty unlikable 
And I think most people going in wanted it to be a show where they're like, ooh, which one am I? Like, oh, they all, they're they all my best friends, like these girls. And that's not the show that I think it wants to be. I think it wants to just tell these girls stories, even if they are sometimes very unlikable. Um, and I think it's one of the more daring shows on television right now. I think it's kind of up there with Louie and kind of just challenging, you know, what people think they want to see and giving us something else even if it doesn't always work. And I don't think it works as often as Louie works, but I think it's kind of a similar show that also happens to have an auteur, you know, really putting her stamp on the show, making it her own. Uh, definitely. Chris, thoughts on Girls Season 2? Uh, I, I agree with pretty much everything Sam just said. Uh, it definitely is one of the more unique and daring shows that's on television right now. Um, and it may I, I i may not have thought that this season was as strong as the first season i think that's where we might disagree uh there's still a lot to love about this past season of girls and it continues to be i think one of the more challenging shows on television um and uh i i'd say my main complaint about this season was maybe the little bit of uh uh awkward the little bit of an awkward fashion in which jessa was kind of uh necessarily sort of removed from the show about mid-season but jessa's always been kind of a weak point for me with this show um right from the get-go some a character that's never quite clicked the way the others have um but uh on the whole there were a lot of great episodes uh one man's trash in particular i thought was just an incredible episode of television um the finale kind of just uh really upended a lot of the status quos in a very fun way that you can just imagine like how these characters are going to have to crawl out of the messes they made next season. It just really it was a great cliffhanger to end on and may leave you wanting more when this show returns. Um, I'll, I'll pick up from you there and say, I think from a master plot perspective, Girls Season 2 was kind of a mess. Um, but the master plot of the show has never really been all that plotty to begin with. Um, and while Hannah's devolution and the, the OCD reveal didn't really work for me, and I think we talked about this when it happened on the podcast... Um, it didn't, it didn't really hurt the overall estimation of the season in my mind, because what I liked best about this were sort of the, uh, uh, the short story style episodes that it did. One Man's Trash is one of those, um, and I think a lot of people think that's the best episode. The one that I nominated, and then because Sam forgot Girls was a show, will not be making the list, uh, it was It's a Shame About Ray, which had that amazing dinner party sequence, um, which sort of laid all the characters bare, and especially gave us, uh, some insight into the Ray-Shoshana relationship. Um, I thought that was, was pretty fantastic. And uh, really, I think, several episodes, there was, I think, the one where, uh, where Hannah and Jessica go to visit Jess's fa father in upstate New York. There was just a lot of really interesting um, one-off episodes in the season. So if the whole thing didn't come together from a plot perspective for me, and it didn't, I think there were uh, three or four fascinating, fantastic episodes. And I... I think Girls continues to be one of the more interesting things on television right now, um, even if I agree with you, Sam, that while it's doing sort of the same thing as Louie, it's not quite as consistent as that show. Um, and I'd, I'd almost hope that it abandons some of the, some of the uh, larger or longer-going stories and does do more of Louie's short story structure um, in, its, in the future, although I kind of doubt that it's going to get rid of master plotting entirely. Um, last thoughts on Girls, Chris? Uh, no, let's... That's all I have to yeah. say about. That's it for me.
Cool. All right, we're going to move on to another show I think we've spent a fair amount of time discussing with on the podcast, um, so we'll keep it sort of shorter again, uh, and I believe it's you who's going to kick us off this time, Chris, on Mad Men. Sure. I mean, what is there to say about Mad Men except for it is a show that still really knows what it's doing? Um, this season saw another drastic status quo shift in the show that has never been afraid of status quo shifts. Um, we also saw... Uh, Don just continuing to um, fall apart, uh, really, uh, in way in, to to a degree that we haven't really seen before on the show, which is very interesting to see as uh, the the '60s enters and we enter into a more tumultuous time in the '60s to finally to also see that mirrored with Don, like really the cracks are really showing a lot now, especially towards the end of the season where he was um, asked to take a leave of absence from uh, Sterling Cooper, Draper Price or whatever the hell they're calling the firm now. Um, yeah. Uh, th- there was a lot going on this season, especially with the introduction of many new characters. Uh, I-, I think Mad Men sometimes has a little bit of trouble uh, keeping the all its many balls in motion in the air partly because it's a show where it, it, it's never been about uh immediate uh gratification it's always been a little bit more about the long game and sometimes you have to kind of wait for a plot point to come back around but i think that becomes a little bit more problematic that when you have as many characters bouncing around the show as you do this season but on the on the whole i wouldn't say that it was a it was a big problem. It was just something I would notice here and there that like something that would happen earlier in the season we wouldn't see revisited until like several episodes down the line. But uh, a lot of great episodes, um, uh, and just an enjoyable season overall. Jordan, what were your thoughts on the season of Mad Men? Well, um, I think that that a lot of the things that I was hearing people talk about during the season was that it was not as good as season five which I think is true because I think season five was the best season the show ever did. Um, I actually think that this was, uh, in a lot of ways, a more focused season than that. It's funny that you mentioned a lot of uh, ancillary plot lines ban- bouncing around that, that took a while to come back, and I think that's sort of true. But this was a season that was really about digging in deeper to Don Draper and sort of making him confront his past in ways that he's been avoiding for the entire series so far. Um, uh, I mean... And that, that story over the course of season six actually really worked for me. Um, you, you, you dug deeper and deeper into him until he was sort of forced to come up against some things he didn't like about himself and make some decisions that uh, will probably reverberate throughout the final season. Um, in a lot of ways, I think that uh, Mad Men has grown more and more like The Sopranos as, it, as it's gotten older. Um, and considering The Sopranos is one of my favorite shows of all time, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Um, and this, this, in a lot of ways, felt like a penultimate season like that show done. Which, uh, which sort of started to tie things up and sort of brought things back to, to focus on the main character. Um, so I thought maybe some of the ancillary plot lines didn't work quite as well um, as they have in the past, but the Don Draper stuff went off like gangbusters for me, um, and that's what the season was trying to do, I think. Sam? Yeah, I think I agree with you that five was the better season. Um but I think it ended incredibly strong and Mad Men is just kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of quietly amazing in a way, you know, Breaking Bad was the show that keeps gaining steam in the public. And by the end of Breaking Bad, it was kind of gangbusters ratings for AMC. 
And I think Mad Men's kind of it's this quiet show, and I think you know people forget that it really it really belongs to be right up there with Breaking Bad and The Sopranos as one of the best shows ever. And AMC kind of AMC kind of got I think unbelievably lucky that it had both of these shows on at the same time at one point. Um, and I don't think it'll ever have a combo of two shows that good ever again running at the same time. Um, just some things to touch on. I loved Linda Cardellini this season. Um, I think the show continues to utilize um, Elizabeth Moss pretty perfectly. And it's just, it's so reliably good. I think I think I actually like forget about how good it is always. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh yeah, it's the best. It's like one of the best shows. Um, it's kind of weird though that it, it, it's not like, it doesn't. It for me, it doesn't. It didn't build the anticipation of of uh, Breaking Bad. But then I'd watch and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, it's it's right there." Um, and I think this. I, I was really happy with where this season left off. And I think it's like you said. It's gonna. I think it's. I hope anyway that it's really gonna focus in on Don for this last season. Even though I think the splitting it up into two seasons, but that's really one season, is really really stupid and. They're trying to do what they did with Breaking Bad, and it's not that kind of show. So yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree, and we've actually we've talked about that before too. Um, but I think uh, you hit something, uh, you hit the nail right on the head when you said that it's like it's easy to forget how good this show is because I think it's it's one of the most consistently excellent shows on television, and so it's sort of easy to to even week to week go like, yeah, I mean, that was a fantastic episode, and then sort of forget and go like well right like it was pretty good i guess well it's like um, every, everyone talks about with breaking bad how it had almost a perfect run in that you can't go like oh yeah that episode you know that was a piece of shit but i don't think you can do the same thing i mean i think you can say the same thing about Mad Men. i i off the top of my head i can't go like remember that episode that just sucked and i think i could even do that for with a show like the sopranos which had like one or two like just episodes that clunked um but it was yeah, otherwise Sopranos, pretty much Sopranos perfect. Sopranos has, I think, one definitively like worst episode that everyone can agree on. Um, it's cri- it's Christopher, it's, right? Yeah, of course it's Christopher. That's a piece of shit. Good. Um, Good. I'm glad we're on the same page. My God. It's a terrible hour of television. But we can talk about Christopher being awful another day. Um, and you, Chris. Oh, yeah. You're awful, too. Um, I, I know. No, I agree. And I think, uh, I forget who said this. Some critic that I, that I was reading said that there's a structure to fan responses to every season of Mad Men, which is like, premiere, that was great. Episodes two through four, this sucks. Yeah. Episodes like five through seven, this is really good. And then like by the end of the season, best season ever. And like, I don't know if season six, <laughs> that's absolutely know if season right. six got to best season ever, but it really did have a similar structure. And I think that's just the way Mad Men works. It sort of seeps under your skin and it takes a while for you to figure out exactly what it's doing and where it's going. But by the time it gets there, it's, it's kind of blown you away again. Yeah, I think the key, I think, they're either saying it sucks or nothing's happening. And I think it might feel that way at the beginning, but that's just how the show operates. It really builds a foundation. Yeah. I always feel like if you think nothing's happening on Batman, you're not watching close enough because even in the foundational episodes, there are so many little moments of grace and of great character work. Um, So yeah, I I think in a, in a year that the show got sort of shot on a lot, I think all of the, a lot of the negative criticism was undeserved, even if some of it was sort of valid. Um, and I think Mad Men is about as good as it's ever been um, going into the final stretch. Uh, last thoughts, Chris? Uh, no, I think we covered it. All right. Um, so now we're going to move on. Sam, you get to sit out for a moment because you still haven't listened to Chris and I. Um, 
as Chris and I discuss one of our favorite shows of the year and one of our our greatest losses uh, of 2013. Chris, I'm going to kick it to you to start talking about happy endings, which did not get a happy ending, by the way. Uh... Okay. Um, I, I had to do that just because I happy endings for me was one of the most incredible comedies to come along in the last decade. Like to me, it was, it, it was of the level of community and just how uh, bold it was. Like at, at t- it was heartfelt at times. At other times, it was like watching a live action cartoon. It created this group of friends that were just so uh, incredibly real and just you wanted to follow them. And season three, I think, had so many great episodes. Like just a string of amazing episodes. Um, it, you you really had. Uh, a lot of interesting things happening, specifically the the Dave Alex uh, reunion, which I, I think some fans were torn on, but like I I love the the Dave Alex coupling. I think they work together in a way that they work much better together than they do apart. Um, and uh, Adam Pally and Casey Wilson continue to prove just like how what a great comedic team they are, and you can hand them literally any subplot, no matter how thin it is, and they'll make it work. Um, I, I really loved a lot of episodes, uh, that just, uh, really embraced the madcap absurdity of this show. Specifically, um, you had the entire gang trying to save a children's gym called Chuckles and Hugs in the episode In the Heat of the Noche, which was just an amazing 20 minutes of television and just giving you one of the weirdest locales that's ever been introduced in any sitcom ever, which is the Chuckles and Hugs, uh, children's gym where you have one of the founders buried in the ceiling with a smile plastered on his face so that he could always watch the children for eternity um it there there were just so many great episodes this season it's almost impossible for me to like pin down any single one of them uh jordan help me out here because like i I, my my i'm just so sad about losing this show that i have no coherent train of thought at the moment yeah i mean it's it's pretty hard to uh it's it's pretty hard to speak about this show just because it was it was so great and uh, i still am sad to lose it i always talked about this as basically a screwball comedy on on television every week um yeah it really was just so breathlessly <coughs> and so um so endlessly inventive i mean as the show was getting canceled the writers uh tweeted out various alternative jokes from from uh the scripts and it was clear they just had 10 or 15 jokes waiting in the wings for every joke that made it to the screen and they were all so weird and funny and specific um this was just, it was a show that that started out with a lot of problems and figured out how to fix all of them. Dave and Alex were the leads of the show at the beginning, and they were so boring, and the show realized that the dumber and the crazier it made them, the funnier they were. And by the time they got back together, Chris, I completely agree with you. They were some sort of weird, wonderful, wild union that I just loved to watch. Um, one of my favorite moments of the season came in what ended up being the series finale, when Alex and Dave... Bro- broke up again after getting in a fight and locking themselves in consecutively smaller and smaller areas of their apartment until they were trapped in their shower fighting. Um, and that was amazing. It was it was a sort of weird set piece that only happy endings can pull off. Um, other great things that we should point out. My favorite subplot of the entire season was when Penny uh, finally had to meet her fiancé's friends, found out that they were completely normal and was just flummoxed by how these were people because they weren't going off on any madcap misadventures or getting into any problems. Um... Other big things. Oh, the uh, the one-off joke that I think has stuck with me the longest 
is uh, that Dave one time saved Max from a well, and Max is sort of uh, pissed that Dave never lets him forget about it. <laughs> um, just a lot of weird little moments like that thrown in throughout the show, and it was just... There was a time, it was uh, in early 2013, I think January, maybe January and February, where ABC was clearly burning off episodes of the show and was airing it back to back. And like for a show that was being burned off like that, it was amazing that like you would really get two stellar episodes a week. Um, it was like it was like ABC was trying to punish us and ended up giving us a treat instead because, I mean, I was just sh consistently shocked by how good this show was. Um, I think season three was arguably the best season of the show, and that made it even more heartbreaking that it ended there. Um, this had like this had the best co comedic ensemble on television this year easily. Um, Chris, I think you and I were talking about this when the Emmy nominations came out. I think any number of any member of this cast could have been rightfully nominated, but especially yeah. any of the three women in the cast should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress because, I mean, I don't think there really is a lead actress in the show by the time you get to season three, but all three of them, Eliza Coop, Elisha Cuthbert, and... Uh, Casey Wilson. Casey Wilson, yeah, thank you, um, were just phenomenal. And they were, do they were all three doing such different things. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole ensemble, really. Like, I, I, I can't think of a cast of more recent memory that was just that just found a way to have every character firing on all cylinders in a way that there really wasn't a weak link in the chain and everybody who wasn't working in the first season really found their niche by the time season three had rolled around and you could really like mix up the pairings and it it, it always there were never there was never like um like the pairing that you really weren't interested in i feel like i feel like there was all, like the cast had just such amazing chemistry with each other as you can mix them and match them ad hoc and it just it just always worked um no matter what they were doing or who was paired with who um it, it it's a great it was a great show it will be sorely missed um and i i think this legacy is that uh just there, there is. I think there is a place for a show like this, and I hope that it will le live somewhere like on Netflix or something like that, and maybe find the uh, the audience now that it never could sustain on television. Yeah, um, I think we can we can wrap up uh, talking about happy endings there. But basically, this was one of the best comedies in television this year, if not the best comedy on television. Um, and. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It, it definitely is a contender for one of the strongest comedies on television. Uh, not just... And it, it was up against some stiff competition, so that's saying something. Yeah, basically, Sam, you haven't watched it, go watch it. Listeners, if you haven't watched Happy Endings, go watch Happy Endings, because it is... It's, it's the most unique thing I saw on TV this year in terms of comedy, and it just... It, it was a show this year that had finally figured out exactly what it wanted to be doing, even though it had been very good before, and was just knocking it out of the park episode after episode after episode. Uh, just great, great stuff. Uh, why don't we move on and talk about um, another comedy that was probably one of the best this year, and I think maybe the, the strongest competition for happenings for best comedy of 2013. Um, Sam, we're going to start with you on this one and talk about New Girl. Sure, I think you know, New Girl kind of broke out and it's in the end of its second season. And, you know, it also gave us the will they, won't they of Jess and Nick, which was one of the better, better will they, won't they's I've, I've ever seen. And they made it, they, they had it come to fruition very, very well. And they wrapped it up very, very well. And I think season two was one of, if not the best comedy uh, for last season. And I think they're still trying to feel their way around their new relationship 
in the third season so far, in the first half of this season. I think there have been a couple good episodes, but it hasn't been on par with the second season, which was pretty excellent through and through. Um, you know, it's still one of the better shows uh, on TV, and it's still a show I watch and review each week. So I love New Girl. I kind of like fell in love with the show after last season. I also thought the first season was pretty good. I think I'm in the minority there. I think people, it was still kind of finding its footing, but I also, I thought, you know, considering the first season was pretty strong for a first year. So I think, I think it'll be okay. I like that they added coach. Um, but I think this show's got legs. I think it's going to be the type of show that's going to be on for five or six years. And hopefully it won't be how I met your mother. It'll be something better than that. <laughs> but I, I think it'll, I think it'll be decided in how they, what they do with Nick and Jess and if they can find kind of like a sweet spot with how to deal with those two. Um, but yeah, that remains to be seen. Uh, Chris thoughts on new girl. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a really strong show. I'm glad that it is picking up the steam that it is both in terms of, uh, the, the its plot lines and in terms of its fan following, just because I I've lost, uh, two comedies. I really, really love this year. And, um, I'm glad that New New Girl is sticking around because I I love the show a lot. Uh, I I like the idea that they could add Coach back into the mix because I I think it's I I think it's tough for a show to do that when you have an ensemble that's already so well established um, to to throw somebody new into the mix. I mean, Coach wasn't necessarily new in this case, but I mean, it's tough to like mess with a formula that's working so well but i'm glad they took that chance because i think damon wayne jr is an amazing performer uh i coach is reintroduction cut off to a little bit of a rocky start but i think they're really starting to figure out how to use the character and has kind of really freshened things up uh in a way that's i've found very helpful i i there there are aspects of the show right now that i don't love but i it's always been a show that kind of realizes when it's making a mistake and kind of pulls back on those aspects of it um, we continue the great tradition of the Thanksgiving that goes horribly awry this past season, which is a, um, a running gag for that show that I love. Uh, and you've, you've gotten a lot of really great moments out of the chemistry between Nick and Jess. Uh, and especially I think in the whole, the, the episode where they introduced Schmidt's horrifying sex act, the captain, I, I that was a, an amazing, yes, I love the captain. I think comedy. that was the best. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope the captain somehow comes back at some point. I don't know how you can bring that gag back, but I really uh, hope they find a way to bring it back. <laughs> I Yeah, I'll, so I'll agree, I think, uh, with you, Chris, that season three, well, actually, but with both of you, season three has been a little more hit and miss, but also that this is, this is a show as good as any on television right now at course correcting when it's doing something poorly. Um, it's really sort of figured out every one of its problems eventually, so I have no doubt that season three is going to get better and hopefully attain something even close to the highs of season two. But we talk about Happy Endings having such a strong run at the beginning of 2013. New Girl was also knocking it out of the park, um, doing a more concentrated character arc and, you know, slightly more plotting with the will they, won't they than Happy Endings was. But just, I think, making a, a storyline that a lot of people were on board with, even though I was from the beginning, uh, really palatable and, and turning a, a will they, won't they into something that, Oh yes, they did, and it works, um, even if it's not necessarily clean right off the bat, and I think probably will never be exactly clean. Um, it also, like, as much as season three has sort of screwed this up, I think the Schmidt uh, love triangle that was going on in the back part of season two was really compelling stuff, um, and I think uh, you needed Elizabeth there for character development of Schmidt, 
and CCH. Yeah, that was that was fine then, but yeah, well, I mean, come back to bite they, them, they took but... it. Yeah, they took it to an illogical conclusion. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at strictly season two, New Girl, I think has a strong argument for being the best comedy of the year. And it's, it almost isn't fair that New Girl got more time than Happy Endings and as a result has sort of short-circuited itself a little bit. Um, but New Girl had some great stuff this year. Yeah. Um, any any final thoughts on that? No, I think that's about it. Silence, cool. Um, now why don't we move on to talk about Hannibal. Um, I'll kick us off here because Hannibal is, unless something drastic changes before my list goes live, going to be my number one show of the year. Um, I, I kept coming back to this as I, uh, I was thinking about ranking things, and there's, even Breaking Bad, uh, even including Breaking Bad, I don't think there's a show I was as excited for every week as I was about Hannibal, um, and I don't think there was a show that was as consistently excellent as Hannibal was. Um, this was something that, if you told me I would think this uh, in January, I would have laughed. I wasn't even planning on watching Hannibal when it started because I expected that it would be a train wreck, um, and it ended up being my favorite thing on television. Um, it's It's a psychologically dense and compelling story that I think is is sort of fundamentally about three men in its first season, but also I think has three incredibly compelling women and really a fourth incredibly compelling woman floating around its its outside. Basically, I think season one works as both episodically uh, a sort of terrifying serial killer show with some of the most haunting tableaus, uh, as, as we all started to call them, um, that I've ever seen put on TV. Uh, and there's some some deeply psychologically and viscerally scarring stuff happened in Hannibal. But it was also a longer game that the season was playing as this dense thriller about uh, the relationship between Hannibal, Will Graham, and to some extent Jack Crawford as each sort of played off the other one psychologically and tried to get uh, the upper hand. And at the end of season one, um, we saw sort of a very dark conclusion as Hannibal got the upper hand on everyone. And uh, the show ended with what I thought was a near-perfect inversion of uh, one of the Hannibal series' most iconic shots, um, sort of messing with our minds in that way and, and completing what I thought was uh, ended up being an almost perfect uh, season-long con that was pulled off perfectly. This is something you didn't see coming necessarily until the show started to move into its endgame, but I think it pulled it off fantastically. It's one of the best acted shows on television. It's one of the most beautiful things on TV right now, um, and... It, it worked on so many levels for me this year that it, that it was impossible for me to think of anything else beating it out at the end of the day. Um, Chris, what did you think about Hannibal? Uh, I, I loved the first three episodes I saw, but I intentionally got very behind after that. I haven't seen the rest of the season, not nearly enough to discuss it in any depth. I just know that it wasn't for any sort of... Um, I, I really loved the show. It was just It was just merely an accident that I haven't gotten caught up yet in a mistake that I intend to fix very, very soon. Wow, I would have yelled at you a whole lot more over the last several months if I had known this was the case. Uh, <laughs> you've hidden this from me very well. I don't think uh, I have. I think I mentioned it every time I talk to you. So I I don't know. I have this thing where I suppress uh, pieces of information about pop culture that people say that shocks me to my core. This is one of them. Rectify that post-haste, Chris. But I'll turn to you, Sam. What did you think about Hannibal? Sure. Um, I think you covered most of it. I, I don't know where it's going to be on my list. Uh, for end of year shows, but it'll certainly be near the top. Um, I think I, I rewatched the season finale, which is excellent, like all of it. Um, and I was thinking, you know, Hannibal's going to kind of take over as the best looking show on TV now that Breaking Bad is over. Um, and I'm constantly shocked at the amount of gore and viscera they're able to show 
on Hannibal on network television. Every week I watch it, I'm just going, how is this on network television? It's probably because nobody's watching. And I think, <laughs> I think there might, there might be some more outrage if it was a more popular show. And unfortunately I don't think it has particularly very, you know, good ratings. It's kind of, it was kind of on the bubble. It's getting a second season. <laughs> it is, it is a minor miracle. Um, and, you know, hopefully maybe people will have heard of it by now a little bit more. I don't, I don't sense there being a groundswell of, of uh, support for the show, but I'm trying to start one right now. Yeah, so well, there there is certainly a critical acclaim, and God knows that hasn't saved many shows. Um, I, I I actually think this is a show that would thrive if it was on a network that was not NBC. Um, I think I think it just being on NBC after and it would it aired after Thursday comedies, which is the absolute worst lead in you could possibly imagine. Um, I, I think if this was on HBO or Showtime or FX or AMC, I think it actually would be in slightly better shape, but it is on NBC and that's, we have to kind of deal with that. And, you know, hopefully more people watch this year and hopefully NBC's badness will help keep it on the air. Like so many good shows that NBC has kept on the air because it's such, because everything's doing terribly. Um, and it's, it's given me Mads Mikkelsen, who is the gift that keeps on giving. He's an amazing actor. I want him to be in everything. He's great. He's great in English. He's great in Danish. Um, he's great being silent. He's great being silent in Valhalla Rising. Um, he is, he is, I think one of the best actors on the planet right now. Um, and, I'm, and the and, fact that like he doesn't completely outshine Hugh Dancy and Lawrence Fishburne, and they are both also incredible on the show, uh, is just kind of icing on the cake, I think. Cause... Yeah, it's a tribute to them. And and he he had such a tall task, you know, taking on you know a, a role that was made iconic by Anthony Hopkins, and he did the absolute right thing in not trying to do that at all. And they didn't hire an English person; they hired they hired a Danish actor. So that was kind of out the window right there. And, he doesn't. He doesn't try to do the Anthony Hopkins thing. He does his own Hannibal, and it is perfect. It is his, and Anthony Hopkins is still his version, and it's perfect. And I hope, I hope the show has a very, very long life. But since it's a Brian Fuller show on NBC, that's good. I am only assuming the worst. Brian Fuller has never had a show make it past the second season. Um, See, uh, Hannibal, he is, he has said in his ideal world would run seven. I want for almost nothing on television as much as I would like that to happen because I think, um, his plan right now is to carry the show through Red Dragon and, uh, Silence of the Lambs at least. I don't think um, it'll even be able to get to, even if it did get that long, I don't know if they'd be able to get the rights, right? Yeah, but I mean, he's talked about how plans he has to work around the rights. He has the rights to Red Dragon. He does not have the rights to Silence of the Lambs currently. Uh, it's like hello maurice right that's when he was like we'll just call her like flores it'll be fine (laughs) um but i do think he would come up with something very inventive and either way this is a show that's good enough in its first season that i can't wait to see what it would look like in a season two three four five etc um probably it will not make it because it's brian fuller but i'm keeping up hope and if you're listening to this and you don't watch hannibal it is a disgustingly violent show at times but what was amazing to me is that unlike so many other shows that were on this year, uh, the following is one that uh, my parents made me watch a couple episodes of before I was turned off of that were just gratuitously violent for no reason. Every death matters on Hannibal and every single 
act of violence sort of reverberates through the show and sort of breaks Will Graham down even more in ways that I think were deeply compelling. And this is a show that's really about like psychology and madness and uh, the, the nature of evil as part of humanity in ways that I think are more interesting and more compelling than anything else uh, that's trying to do similar things on television. Basically, Hannibal is, is the best possible version of, the type, of a type of show that is probably the most popular type of show in existence right now. And so it's a shame that Hannibal is as unpopular as it is. I mean, it's basically doing what CSI and, uh, you know, a bunch of serial killer dramas uh, on pretty much every network are doing right now, just way, way better and with a lot more emotional and psychological depth and sensitivity. Um, I think Hannibal was the best thing on TV this year. So I think you should all watch it. And Chris, good God, <laughs> catch up. Um, Sam, we're going to let you go all right. while Chris and I discuss. Um, Goodbye. See you later. <laughs> Feel free to spoil everything because I'm, I'm leaving now. Goodbye. Goodbye, Sam. Um, Chris, you and I, I think, are going to discuss uh, a couple more shows before we sign off. Um, sure. Why don't we talk... Actually, I think we're just going to talk about two. We're going to have to cut a couple for time. Um, but why don't we talk well, about... Well, that's good because I, I haven't watched Masters of Sex, so I can't discuss it at yeah. all. Well, we don't have time for that anyway. Uh, Masters of Sex was great. It'll be on my list. You should read that, folks. Um, and that we'll consider that the discussion. Why don't we talk about Game of Thrones real quick? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so Game of Thrones, I think, had a much better season uh, three than it did season two. I think my main complaint with season two was that it was a lot of really great soliloquies, but not a lot really happened. It was just like really fascinating, well-written conversations that amount to very little actual plot movement. That cannot be said of season three, where things really ramped up in a way that I, who is someone who has not read the books, was really shocked. Uh, like episodes like the Reigns of Casimir. Uh, I, I don't even like the word status quo change. Uh, the, the term status quo change uh, is grossly ineffective in describing what happened in that episode. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen something so uh, bold and sweeping on a television show to like remove not only main characters, but pretty much, I think, an integral plot line and something that would have been one of the first things I mentioned if I was describing to somebody what this show was about. Um, so it, it's, it's a really impressive show, especially in the way that it continues to juggle one of the most enormous casts on television and give all of them great, uh, things to do. Maybe not every episode. I think that also a thing the show became much better about this season around was letting people disappear for an episode or two and then really spending some good quality time with them and focusing on them in a way that, uh, wasn't afraid to really just kind of let characters come in and out of episodes knowing that they would be better served if they had more time and more concentrated in individual episodes um i i, I like the show a lot uh, i think it's doing incredible things uh i, I almost wish you, we could get another couple episodes a season because i i, I honestly feel like it, it's a show that just almost could use a little bit more room to breathe jordan what were your thoughts yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, as someone who has read the books, I uh, I always have a little bit more to gripe about, but also I think in season three a little bit more to be impressed by. Um, whereas a lot of the uh, a lot of the changes they've made in the first couple seasons of the show irked me, um, and several of them made in season three irked me as well, including uh, the what amounted to Theon and torture porn uh, plotline. Uh, yeah. But. But I think they made some some big uh, additions to season three that really worked most. Most prominently off the top of my head, uh, developing Marguerite Tyrell a lot more and making her a more uh, real breathing character than she has been so far in the books. 
basically, I think season two was was a bit of a miss for the show and almost had to be because I think the second novel is a bit of a miss for the series. Um, season three, they were adapting the first half of what I think is the best novel in the series, and they did they did it justice. I think. Um, I don't know. I I always sort of weigh season one uh, as like the gold standard for the show, and I still kind of think season one is the best the show's been. But season three came damn close, um, and it set a lot of wheels in motion very well for what I think will be an amazing season four. Basically, I I think Game of Thrones was just was incredibly solid throughout. Um, and like you said, it's really impressive the way that it juggles not just an expansive cast, but the fact that the cast is is often separated for for episode seasons and the entire series in some cases. I mean. This series takes place over an entire world and over thousands and thousands of miles and continents. Um, and it manages to keep all those balls in the air. And it very rarely drops one, considering how much it's trying to do. Yeah, it, it, it's it's so ambitious in scope. And, um, I, mean, I mean, we were talking about earlier, like, uh, how it, impressive it is that Mad Men keeps adding new characters every season. I mean, like, it, it's got nothing on the amount of new characters Game of Thrones. I, I feel like the cast almost doubles in size with each new season. Um, and still the show manages to, well, partially because it, it's not afraid to kill some characters off, but it, it still manages to really not forget about anyone and really keep everyone in play as the series goes on. Yeah. Um, I think season three was amazing. I think we have a lot to look forward to in season four and, uh, why don't we leave it there and move on to what I think for time reasons will be our final show that we discuss, but collectively between us is one of our favorite shows of the year i think let's talk about what i think was the best season so far of justified i will agree with you wholeheartedly but like please uh you, you start on this one tell us why you think this was one of, this is uh, justified's best season yet look um season two of justified was that show's gold standard if you will um it was uh, the the mags bennett storyline and i think probably the best condensed storyline the show's ever told but season four did something sort of completely different um in a lot of ways a, it was more about a central mystery than a central bad guy, which I think was smart after um, season three sort of faltered trying to, to beat out Margot Martindale's Mags Bennett. Um, but it was also more fundamentally a story about uh, the way that Harlan, as what, the town that is really a central character on the show, I think, has shaped um, both Raylan Givens and uh, Boyd Crowder, the central protagonist and antagonist of the series, and sort of limited their choices and, and changed their outlooks on, on the world. Um, it, the show has spent so much time building the world of Harlan over the course of its run, and season four was just payoff after payoff after payoff of things we'd seen develop before sort of cropping up and being used in new and interesting ways, and even more world-building coming in with characters like Constable Bob, who started out as a bit of a joke and became one of the most resonant characters of the season. But honestly, for me, it comes back again and again to... Just what a great Raylan Givens story the fourth season of this show was, as as Raylan sort of contended with the legacy of his father, um, a man he hated and couldn't really come to, to understand. And, and I think it, it ultimately worked as a story about Raylan and his father, as a story about Boyd and his father, and as a story about Boyd and Raylan, the two men who will never see eye to eye but just can't get out of each other's eye line, nevertheless. Um, I thought it was just... just endlessly compelling stuff and yeah i really think it was the best the show's been so far what did you think uh i agree with everything you just said i, I think one of the things for me that was uh most exciting about this season was this is a show that is always kind of um uh walked the line between uh 
serialization and case of the week in a way that's much better than most kind of procedural law enforcement shows do as on television. And I wouldn't call it procedural by any means, but it's it's sort of like followed that um, sort of like cable model for uh, dramas where it's like you have like, you can almost pick out the pattern, like this is going to be case of the week, this is going to be case of the week, going to get something on the master story here, and then the final three episodes are going to deal with the master story. Uh, season four of Justified took every piece that the first three seasons had put on the board of Harlan and just clashed them all together in this incredibly involved and intricate mystery that just kept, like, very organically um, involving new players, uh, new, like, well, players that we had already been introduced before, both new characters and old, uh, just, it really gave you more insight into the criminal structure, both of Harlan and of the uh, Dixie Mafia umbrella that it falls under. Uh, the law enforcement, you got we got to spend more time with the uh, the other marshals and uh, see more aspects to the other law enforcement agencies operating in Harlan. And it was just it was so super serialized, and it finally clicked into becoming exactly the kind of show that I always wanted out of Justified, and it has seen these glimpses of throughout its entire history. It's a show I'd always loved, but never as much as I did this season, where it became this intricate web of uh, crime drama involving every character who is still alive and we'd met so far, as well as some new characters who were entering the scene looking for new opportunities. You had favorites like Wynn Duffy returning and Limehouse playing a big role in one of the best uh, hold them until you really want them sort of character returns I've seen in the show in a long time. Uh, and and it, so, so many powerful moments, including like, sometimes I forget that this season was when uh, you had the incredibly moving death of Arlo and the like just the, one of the most, I, I think, powerful moments of the entire series was uh, Raylan and Arlo's final like conversation on Arlo's deathbed where like his last words to Arlo's last words to his son are kiss my ass. Um it's 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 an amazing show. It did things this season that I never expected it was capable of, but I'm so happy it is. And for that reason, I think uh, Justified is the show I'm most excited about for this upcoming season of television. I can't wait to see where the show builds from here because they honestly just really... They, they, they reached a whole new level with this past season, and I love the show that it has become. Yeah, I, I, I really like the point you made about the way that this show mixes uh, Case of the Weeks and Master Plotting. It's always been pretty good at that, but I think it was especially great uh, at that in Season 4, both because its master plot came sort of at odd angles and not in ways you'd expect, but also because it was just firing on all cylinders on both of those levels. Like, it had amazing Case of the Week episodes and an amazing master plot that almost worked at the same time, and you, you couldn't necessarily tell uh, at the beginning of an episode all the time whether we were getting Case of the Week or whether it was going to end up tying into the master plot, and sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't, and it was just... Basically, I think, I think Justified uh, has been a very, very, very good show, arguably even great in Season 2 for its entire run, and I think it became phenomenal in Season, in season 4. Uh, really next-level stuff and stuff I hope we keep seeing in Season 5, but even if we don't, Season 4 is, uh, I think, a titanic achievement for... For a show that you don't hear enough about, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Agreed. And, I mean, Timothy Oliphant is giving one of the most underrated performances on television is Raylan. But, really, the fact that, that Boyd Crowder um, and... Oh, my God. Why am I losing his name? It's... Uh, 
Walt, Walter Walter Goggins. Walter Walton Goggins. Walton Man, Goggins, yeah. I couldn't remember that for a second. Walton Goggins, the fact that he hasn't won an Emmy for this show is criminal. I mean, he's he's doing something that I think was on par with any of the Breaking Bad villains week in and week out. Um, yeah. And he's just fascinating and phenomenal and, uh, again, criminally underrecognized. So if you're not watching Justified, I also suggest that you do that, especially because that show just keeps getting better. I mean... If, if season five is half as good as season four, it'll be an amazing season of television. Um, final thoughts on Justified? Uh, no, I think we covered it. All right. Well, with that, I think it's probably time to shut down the show. Uh, we didn't get to quite as much as we'd hoped, but that's the nature of a year in television that is as full of riches as, as 2013 was. You can see more of our favorites, although I still don't think we'll be able to cover all of them this week. Uh, over at vvn.com where you can read our contentious episodes list um, as it came out and you can also read uh, several of our top 10 plus shows of 2013 lists um, all of which are available by the time this podcast comes out so check those out at vvn.com let us know what your favorites of 2013 were and all the ways that we uh, failed in our lists and the things that we didn't mention that we probably should have um, at vvnamed at gmail.com uh, on twitter at vvnamed in the comments of the website or you know any number of ways you can think to get in contact with us. Um, we're open to it. With that, uh, it has been an amazing year in television. This has been the Review Your Name podcast. I have been Jordan, and how come everybody calls me Crazy Eyes? Crazy Eyes.